we love in return. So Lord Jesus, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for what you have done for us on the cross. We're thankful for the way you've led and guided our lives. We thank, we're thankful for the way you bless us. And you hold on to us. And we pray that in these next few minutes, that as we think of you, as we look in, at the Bible again and seek to know your words from it, that God, you would meet us here. And that we would again know your love might love you more in return. These things we pray in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Don't know if any, everybody saw that very brief uh, children's ministry dismissed uh, projection that we had on the screens, but if kids haven't been uh, set free yet, they can go to their children's time. You know, over the last few weeks, we've looked at what is uh, called the Mary Martha story. And um, if you've been here, you, I hope, have been really challenged by the, um, the story in itself from Luke chapter 10, where two women are presented to us, Mary and her sister Martha, Mary being that woman who <clears throat> was intrigued by Jesus and, as the text says, sat at his feet listening to what he had to say. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Somebody who obviously is caught up in, 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 in the message that Jesus spoke, the word of God literally came out of the mouth of the Son of God, and she heard it. Can you imagine having been there? Um, and we're called to be like her. That was last week's sermon. The week before that, we talked a lot about Martha. And her heart was right but um, in, in intending to serve Jesus, but she displays for us an example of someone that we maybe want to uh, not follow after. She was critical of Christ, told the Son of God what to do, questioned God's love for her and so forth. Um, and it's almost like Scripture comes to us, and have you ever thought of it like this? It becomes our mirror. We look into Scripture, and in a sense, as we look at Mary and Martha, we see ourselves one way or the other. We look at uh, the reality of, of what's played out before us, and we get to say, how am I doing? Am I more of a Mary or am I more of a Martha? Have you asked the question? Uh, I, I look at them both, and I see both in me. There are times I'm ready to tell God what to do, and I want you to do it now, because I'm not happy, and I'm not in a good place, and I need you to work, and I need you to do it now, and here's how. I can be Martha. But there are times I, uh, I'm like Mary where I can get quiet in God's presence and I can just enjoy uh, that reality knowing that Christ is with me and that he is speaking through scripture and it's an amazing moment in life. Um, I've always thought of this as a two-person story and I've presented it that way. But you know what I realized this week? It's actually not a two-person story. It's not just what I said last week, a contrast of, of two characters. There's a third person involved in the story. Anybody know who it is? Jesus. It's a three-person story. Yeah, six-person. Three-person story. It's a story of Mary and Martha and Jesus. And I want to I suggest that Jesus' role in this, in this text that we're going to look at today, and some other texts as well, is, is an incredibly important example to us. It teaches us something. I want us to look at what Jesus was doing when he sat, first of all, with, with Mary uh, speaking into her life. And I want us to ask ourselves, what does it mean for you and me? I'm not about teaching or preaching the Bible just so that I can fill your mind with knowledge. Knowledge is good. Biblical knowledge is great. 
But we are intended to take a step beyond knowing what's here to saying, what is God saying to me right now? Just as if Jesus was sitting with Mary speaking into her life, so Jesus is with us now by his Holy Spirit through the scripture to speak into your life and into my life. Hold up the mirror if you wouldn't say, hey, what's going on here and how can I change? How can I grow? How can I become what God wants me to become? So I want to look at Jesus. I want us to dig into to his role in the story and learn from it. First and most important thing I can say to you when we look at the Mary, Martha, Jesus story again, when, when, when he came along and, and, and he uh, introduced himself to Mary and he had a bit of a conflict with Martha, the first and most important thing that we can hear from him and understand about him is that Jesus is doing what he loved doing. What Jesus is doing as he sits with, with Mary, he is passionate about. You know, go back to the beginning of Luke chapter 10 where this text comes from. We did it last week, so I'm not going to read it to you again. But Jesus has gathered a lot of people around him. It's not just 12 disciples. And he sends out 72 people into all the nearby villages and towns, it says, to tell uh, these folks who will listen to them the good news of God coming in Christ. And he says that, uh, you know, where you're not welcomed, if you go into a town and you start to proclaim this gospel message, this news of God and what God is doing in this moment, he said, if you're not welcome there, old, the old translations say, shake the dust off your feet and move on. It's like, if you're not welcome, if you're not received, there's, if there's not a receptivity to the story, just move on. Find some, some place where people will really listen to you. It's not bad advice, by the way, for those of us who want to share our faith in Jesus. Look for those people who are ready to listen and, and tell them the story. But conversely, Jesus says, if you go into a town and there is receptivity to the message, if people there are willing to listen to you, if their ears are open and their hearts are open and they want to know more, Jesus tells the people at the beginning of Luke chapter 10 to do two things. Number one, heal the sick. Go into that place and by Christ's authority, through prayer in my name, bring healing and wholeness into the lives of people who are broken. Remarkable commandment Jesus gave them and us, by the way. Show the power of God uh, in what you do. And the second thing Jesus tells these 72 people to do is um, to, to, to tell anyone willing to listen, the kingdom of God is near. The, the reality that God is here now in a new way, referring to himself, <laughs> the, the reality that now God is on the move as he hasn't been ever before, go and tell them that God is alive in your presence. The kingdom is near. Well, after a time, these 72 people return, and they have incredible stories how God has worked in, in power, and evil has been overcome. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven, you know. God did something powerful in those days as the 72 served according to what Jesus had told them. Now, fast forward to the end of chapter 10 where the Mary, Martha, Jesus story is, and we're going to read again verses 38 and 39, what I think is critical to... Uh, the Jesus ministry. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, where were they on their way to? Well, we don't know, but they're on their way to doing what the 72 had just done. Jesus is out looking for receptivity. He's looking for people who will listen to them. He's doing his work. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. It seems innocuous. It seems like it 
it's, it's, it's almost an, an irrelevancy. So Mary sat listening to Jesus. But I want to tell you something significant is going on in this place. You see, Jesus came to this village, and he was welcomed into Martha's home, as we have talked about. But in that home, there was a woman named Mary who welcomed Jesus into her heart. She was interested in him. She was open to what he had to say. Here was the receptive one. And there Jesus sat and he talked with this woman named Mary. The passage doesn't say what he said. It just said that she listened to what he had to say. But from the context, I think it's fair to assume that what Jesus was talking about was the coming of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is near, he had told the 72 to proclaim. He would have been doing the same thing. God is here now in a powerful and a new way. The reign of God has come into the world through himself, the king of kings. It's likely how that Jesus would have, would have told Mary and, uh, you know, that, that she could enter into the kingdom of God. She could walk into this new reality through faith. It's likely that he would have talked about what he talked about elsewhere, that we need to repent of our sin and draw close to God, and in so doing, we can have a relationship with God. Probably Jesus told Mary that God loved her, and for Mary, this seems to be an incredibly significant moment, a moment where she encounters God through the Son of God. You understand that? She, she had this life-changing moment when the God story and her story intersected, and she was caught up in the reality of what God was doing in this world. See, what we have in this scene that is given to us in these two short verses is Jesus on mission. Jesus is doing exactly what he told his disciples to do when he said, go to places where there is receptivity and heal people who are sick and proclaim the kingdom of God. Um, he said, find the receptive ones and talk to them. And here Jesus is literally practicing what he preached. You know, he was a preacher. And he had told people to do it, and now he was doing it himself. It was this one named Jesus who said of himself, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And here he is doing it. He's seeking out. He's finding, and he is saving someone who desperately needs to enter into the kingdom of God, desperately needs the forgiveness of sin, desperately needs faith in him. And, 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 and he offers to Mary this relationship with the living God. Remarkable moment. My friends, Jesus is doing what he loved. Jesus is doing what he was passionate about as he gave his time and his attention and his focus and his energy to one single person. And you think about that reality, is it any wonder that when Martha came saying, send Mary in to help me cook, Jesus said, no way. <laughs> There's something bigger going on here. There's something of greater significance going on here. I will not deny her this moment with me in which she was saved. How do we know she was saved? Well, the story goes on, and we're going to take a minute and look at a couple of other texts here today because what Jesus' mission and ministry in her life uh, accomplished that day becomes incredibly obvious. There are a couple of other places in the, 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 the story, uh, the Gospels, the story of the life stories of the life of Jesus where this Mary shows up. There are lots of Marys in the Bible. Did you know that? Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Mary of Bethany. That's, that's who we're speaking of today. But in, in this particular woman's life, she shows up again in John chapter 11 where Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus has died. 
Um, Jesus has become friends with these three, and the sisters send for him, and he comes, and, 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 and Martha is the first one who goes and greets Jesus and said, oh, if you had only come, my brother wouldn't have died. In response, essentially, Jesus speaks this, these incredible words, John 11, 25, famous, powerful uh, text from the lips of Jesus. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who believes in me even though he die. Can we get verse 26 really quickly? I've got it here. Um, verse 26, he said, uh, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he says to Mary, do you believe this? Sorry to Martha. Now, the interesting thing is how Martha responds. She goes on to say, she goes on to say, I know, um, let me see where it is. Uh, yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, who was to come into the world. But she doesn't say, I believe this. She doesn't say that he who believes in me will never die. Somehow she misses the point. She's playing the role of Martha again. Well, the story goes on, and in time, Mary comes to Jesus. And uh, I want to read to you verses 32 through 44. Listen to the response of this one who met Jesus sometime prior. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Can I ask us to pause for a minute? Where was, where was Mary at in this story that we talked about earlier when she listened to his words? She was at his feet listening to his words. Note this because it's significant. She comes to the place where Jesus was and she saw him and she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. You know what that phrase means? Jesus was angry. He cries in a minute. He grieves in a minute. But right here he is angry because he is experiencing the power of sin in their grief. He's experiencing the reality of death and the destructive power of death in the people he loves. And he's troubled. He's mad. Verse 34. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man, which he had previously done, could he not have kept this man from dying? But Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said, but Lord... And who is the one speaking who is resisting, again, the words of God? <laughs> but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. She hasn't heard the great pro proclamation of Christ. She hasn't come to fully embrace and believe in Jesus. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, uh, but if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always uh, hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. There's the purpose in all of this. Jesus on mission. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. My friends, what's going on in this second, can I call it this, encounter of Jesus with Mary particularly? What's happening here? Jesus is 
telling of the reality of the kingdom, but more than telling the, the, the people who are present in that place, he is showing them the power of the kingdom of God. He is healing not only the blind man, not only the sick, but in this instance, actually the dead. He is raising Lazarus to life. It's almost as if in this moment a curtain is pulled back for everybody to see and to understand the presence of God and the power of God. You see Jesus on mission? Jesus is seeking to accomplish something in a profound way. That's story number two in Martha's, Mary's experience. What's the third instance of Mary experiencing Jesus? Well, it comes to us in chapter 12. It comes immediately after chapter 11 where Lazarus is raised and after some time has passed. But let me read it to you. Uh, John chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. That's where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Lazarus lived, where <laughs> Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha, she's still at it. <laughs> Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. Implication, alive. Listen to verse 3. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Where was Mary found once again? At the feet of Jesus. Don't tell me that the authors of the Gospels weren't making a significant point. Where do we belong? We belong at the feet of Jesus. And in this instance, Mary, Mary takes this extremely expensive perfume and she just pours it on her, his, his feet. Um, what is she doing there? Why would she take something of such incredible value? And this was like life-saving value, a life-savings value, and just pour it on the feet of Christ. I want to tell you, and this is, this is another sermon in itself, but I want to tell you, she is worshiping him. She is worshiping him. In the verses that follow Judas, you know, the one who would betray Jesus, he started to complain about what she had done. Because he knows the value of this perfume. And he says, if we had taken that perfume and sold it, we could have taken the money and cared for the poor. Which seems laudable, but what's really going on, as the text says, is that he's the treasure and he's ripping the treasury off. <laughs> he's personally gaining from the money that's in there in a way that he shouldn't have. Jesus rebukes him and he defends who? Mary, again. But you see, what's going on here, my friends, is Mary is highly honoring Christ. She is demonstrating to him how incredibly valuable he is to her. <laughs> that he is incredibly more value than the value of this perfume. Why am I telling you about these three steps? The, the experience of, 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 of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Um, well, I want to tell you, Jesus was at work in that moment. Jesus was influencing profoundly, and what he is doing is introducing himself to her. He is encountering her for the first time. He is taking time that she might encounter the reality of God in the flesh. He's on mission. What's the second story about the raising of Lazarus all about? What Jesus is doing in that moment? He is displaying 
to all who were present, including Mary, the power of God so that God might be glorified. This is an incredible moment when she came to see, not only to believe, but to see Christ in a new way because here he overcame the power of even death and brought life to this man. As she encounters the power of God through Christ, what does that lead to ultimately? Well, she came to a place having met Jesus, having encountered his power, where she fell before him in worship. She worshiped him. You know, in uh, Luke chapter 10, I've referred to this already, where Jesus says, I'm sending out 72 of you to go and to proclaim the kingdom and to heal. Um, this verse, uh, I think, is of great significance. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, says this. He, Jesus, told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. You know what Jesus was saying in that moment? He was saying to his people, his crowd, his flock, his church. He is saying to them, there are tons of people who are ready to hear about me. There are just a lot of people out there who are ready and receptive. And if they will just be told that God has come and that God is on the move and that the kingdom is a reality, they'll be willing to say yes. They'll be willing to enter in. And I want to tell you, my friends, in the Mary, Martha, Jesus story, Jesus is out in the midst of the fields and he's harvesting the crop. He is out there influencing. He is bringing in the crop. And this is why Jesus came. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And to use the focus that, that these texts bring to us, the Son of Man came, Jesus came to seek and save Mary to introduce himself to her, that she might enter into a relationship with him, to reveal his power to her, that she might be awed by being in the presence of the living God, that she might come to a place where she would worship Jesus in a profound and in a powerful way. Here's my question for you today. Can I ask you where you are in that sequence? That three-part journey that Mary walked have you met him have you come to that place that mary was blessed with where she where you have just sat in his presence and had that initial encounter with the living son of god i want to tell you that encounter changed mary's life and has the potential to change our lives in profound and beautiful and remarkable ways but it's an incredibly significant question for every single person alive, never mind in this room, but at least for us to ask ourselves in all sincerity, have you encountered Jesus? Have you heard from him through scripture, through preaching, through whatever means God has chosen to speak so that you know in that moment I am sitting in the presence of Jesus, sitting at his feet, aware of his goodness. I have heard him speak into my life. I've been invited into the kingdom so much so that I have said yes. Now be careful because Martha was religious. Martha was doing her duty as a good Jewish woman and offering hospitality as we have discussed, but she did not humble herself in Christ's presence, sitting at his feet, she did not give herself to listening to Jesus' words. She did not give Jesus priority. And she did not have relationship with him. 
in the way that Jesus was inviting Mary into relationship. My friends, honestly, it doesn't matter how often you come to church. It doesn't matter how moral a life you live. It does not matter how much money you give to God. The question is, do you and do I know Jesus Christ? Have we met him? To every person here, I would suggest to you, Jesus asks have you, asks, have you heard of the kingdom and are you willing to enter into it by faith? Are you willing to repent of your sin? Are you willing to form relationship with me and follow me? Second dynamic, uh, and think of progression again here. In terms of my question for you today, where are you in the progression? If indeed you have encountered him and met him and have a relationship with him, can I ask you this in all seriousness? Have you encountered Christ in his power? You see, the reality is a lot of people, this is my conviction at least, a lot of people as they journey in the progression that I've described to you that Jesus led Mary through, a lot of people will hear of the kingdom of God and they will hear of their need for forgiveness and they will embrace a relationship with Christ and they'll step into the kingdom. But they won't keep on walking. They just stay there. They are believers. They are God's children. They do have the promise of heaven. They have the forgiveness of sin. But so many people have not yet experienced the reality of God by His Spirit acting powerfully in their lives. See, I want to say to you, it's possible to experience the living Lord Jesus at work in such a fashion as Mary and Martha did in the raising of Lazarus. So much so that we end up as they must have awed by God because Christ, this one whom they had sat with and ate with earlier on, was now revealing himself as the son of the living God, overcoming the power of sin and the power of evil and the power of death, glorifying the Father through what he was doing in their lives. I mean, take a minute and think of that moment when Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And their brother walked out of the tomb. How would they have felt? What would that have been like? I don't know about you, but if that had been me, I would have been dumbfounded and speechless and awed that the one who had been in the tomb for four days and probably was, as Martha suggested, pretty smelly, is all of a sudden alive again. And as I <laughs> contemplated the, 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 the raising of my brother from, the, from being dead, I would have then turned to the one who had spoken and exercised the power of God. And I would have been amazed. My friends, have you come to a place where you've encountered the Jesus of power in your life? Have you, done, have you seen him do things that have left you awed? And the third part of this progression, and maybe there are people here who have entered in 
to that faith. They have met Christ and they have formed that relationship with him and become his follower. Maybe you have also encountered his power in awesome and remarkable ways. But where that leads us to in, in this progression of Jesus' ministry in Mary's life is that she came to a place of deep and profound worship of Christ. And I ask you today, if you come to that place, it's no accident that Mary worshiping through the pouring of this perfume on Jesus' feet follows immediately after, although time has lapsed, but immediately after the raising of Lazarus. She encountered his power, and the next picture that we have of her is her worshiping him in a deep and a profound way. Let me, ask, let me tell you this and then ask the question again. But I want to tell you from John chapter 12 where, G, where Jesus' feet is in, are, are anointed by the perfume. Worship is costly. Do you know that? You cannot worship God unless it is incredibly expensive to you. As it was in Mary's life. Let me put it in a different way. The more we give to Jesus the more or the greater our worship is before him. Mary showed Jesus that he was incredibly more valuable than the perfume that she poured out upon him. But it cost her dearly. So let me ask you the, this question for those of you who are in relationship with Jesus and have seen his power and work in your lives. What do you give to him as an act of worship? How do you worship Jesus in such a fashion that it costs you dearly? A lot of people could respond in various ways to this. Uh, one way is that, for example, well, I come to church and I put money in the offering plate and I worship in that fashion. And quite frankly, that's part of our worship every Sunday. We don't do it just to collect funds. We do it that we might worship God. And a lot of people participate in that. But can I ask you the question with grace and with love? Is that a significant sacrifice to you? Does it cost you much to worship him in that fashion? What does the amount that you give to Jesus say to him of your view of him? Worship is costly. Some people would say, and I think it's very true, that while I give Jesus my time, I sacrifice my time to him. Time is valuable in this culture. Can I say it again? What is the message you send to Jesus by the amount of time you give him directly? I think it's a really true reality that we worship Christ by giving him our ability and our giftedness as we serve him. Can I ask the same question? What is your level of giving in service? You see the significance of this. Worship is costly. It has to be, by definition, at least in this text, and in others too. But ultimately, my friends, I want to tell you this, that the greatest sacrifice that we can give, the greatest amount of giving that we can provide, the greatest act of worship in the presence of Jesus is when we give him our lives. When we come into the presence of Christ, having met him once upon a time, having encountered his power and being 
and having been awed by him, we come to a place where we just say, Lord Jesus, I now see you for who you are. I understand that you indeed are the Son of God, and I yield my life to, to you that you may do with it what you choose. That is the most costly means of work, worshiping Jesus that you can, you can engage Lord Jesus, I will no longer live for myself, but I will live for you. That's easy to say. That's hard to do. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I have been crucified with Christ, and, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And I live by the faith of the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. Lord Jesus, it's as if my life is now yours. I give myself to you. Whatever you want, I will do. Whatever, wherever you want me to go, I will go. Whatever act of service you invite me into, I will embrace. I will live not for myself, not to accomplish my goals, but to accomplish your goals. Lord Jesus, I yield my life to you. And that can easily take us back to Luke chapter 10 when Jesus said, The fields are white for harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Jesus was saying, there are tons of people who need to know me. There are tons of people, and I'm passionate for it, for it, uh, for them, who will encounter me as Mary once encountered me so that they might encounter the power of the living Christ in their lives, that they might ultimately come to a place of absolute surrender of their, life's, their lives to me. But Jesus goes on to say, there's tons of opportunity, but there aren't enough people who are doing it. Can the farmers in the church imagine having this fantastic crop in the field, not having enough workers to bring it in? No, that's exactly what Jesus saw. And that's what Jesus sees. See, my friends, what I'm saying to you is that Jesus is still on mission. Jesus is with us by his spirit right here, right now. Jesus is seeking to speak through his words, through my lips, into your lives, so that you might hear him, and so that you might respond to him. And I'm going to ask you to do that today. In a little while, I'm going to pray a prayer, and we're going to finish, and we'll sing another song, and then we'll go home and enjoy the lack of snow. You know, we're gracious and accepting, but there are limits. I got to tell you right now. I don't know. No, there aren't. There aren't. But Jesus is here and Jesus is on mission. Jesus' heart for people is no different today than it was on that day when he sat down with Mary in her sister's living room. And he, isn't, he is as passionate today to seek and save the lost as he was then. He died He died to that end on a cross. And he was raised to new life by his father in that moment of power and resurrection. He is here and he, he seeks to speak and he seeks for us to then respond. Some people here, here literally just might be thinking in their heart of hearts, you know what, I'm Mary in Martha's living room and I'm hearing Jesus speak into my life and it's time for me to say yes to him. Anybody here like that? Maybe heard this series, maybe hearing this story right now and you just know the Lord Jesus is saying, I'm here for you, and I want to forgive your sin, and I want you to enter into the kingdom, and I want you to become my follower by faith. Well, if that's you, 
We're going to have just a moment of silence before I pray to conclude. And you can just, you can just tell Christ that. Just say, hey, Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence and thank you for your speaking to me. And yes, I pray you'll forgive my sin and I invite you into my life. And I'll follow you from this day forward. Just do that. There might be other people here and you recognize in yourself one who has entered into the kingdom, but you've stopped walking. What I want to suggest to you is you can simply say, Lord Jesus, I want to see your power at work in me and in my life. You know, the only reason that Lazarus was raised and Mary and Martha and all those other people got to see the power of God enacted in their experience is because a couple of sisters sent for Jesus that he might come. Because they had a problem and they needed somebody to fix the problem. And I don't know where you're at, but if you have some struggle and difficulty right now, you could just take this opportunity and you could say, Lord Jesus, I pray that you will come into my life and you will exercise your, your power in my, in my circumstance and I pray that you will reveal your glory to me over this circumstance. And I can't imagine that the God of heaven who has revealed himself in this text, this book, will do other, anything other than just say, get out of my way, I'm going to show up and I'm going to do it. But if you want to see the power of God in your life, can I just invite you to ask him to act in a powerful way, to leave you awed, like Mary and Martha were awed that moment when their brother walked out of the tomb alive. He will. The third option here today is that there may be people in this church and they've met Christ and they've encountered his power but it's time for you just to say to the Lord Jesus, today in a, as an act of worship, I yield my life to you wholly and unreservedly. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. I will live for you from this point forward, not for myself. I want to tell you, my friends, if you will embrace that, Christ will be worshipped. And you will enter into something that you've never known before. And it's the beauty of being caught up in what God is doing in this world. And I don't know what the Lord Jesus will lead you to, but in one way or another, it will be, as you exercise your gifts, it will be part of reaping that harvest that is abundant. So I'm going to pray. But before I pray out loud, I'm just going to give you a few moments to respond to, to, to Jesus in the way that you are today led to respond to him in a way that will bring him great joy, in a way that, as was Mary, you will be caught up in the things of God and, and in the activity of God and the movement of God in this world. So let's pray together. I'll just give you a minute to pray privately and quietly to him.
Lord Jesus, it's an amazing thing that we, like Mary, can encounter you. And we can move through a progression of steps in our journey with you, in our growth in faith, from meeting you to encountering you in your power to ultimately yielding our lives to you. And Lord Jesus, you know who has taken a step here today. You know what they have done. They know now what they need. And I pray, Lord, that as you are a God on mission, that you will continue to be with them, you'll continue to move, that you will lead them forward, that they might encounter you in life, just as Mary did. I pray, Father, that those who have entered into a relationship with you might grow like, might learn those early realities of what it means to know you and to love you. I pray, Father, for those who have prayed to know your power, that you will act powerfully. And that you will overcome the power of evil and of sin and even of death in their circumstance. And I pray, Lord, for those who have yielded their lives to you wholly and unreservedly, completely. And that you will use them. And that you will show them the great joy of being fully yours. Lord Jesus, we are awed by you. And as we sang before this, uh, this sermon, we do love you. For you have loved us. Thank you for your ministry in our lives. Thank you for coming to us. Thank you for doing what you have done and what you will do for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus that we can worship you now. These things we pray in your name.